Well, we do believe that God is the potter and that we are clay. We do believe that He is all-wise and all-knowing and at the same time full of love and grace and mercy. And so as potter, we seek to look to Him, trust Him, lean into Him for all the shaping that He would want to do on our lives. Which kind of raises the question, what is the shaping that our God is doing on your life, on my life, on our lives collectively? And certainly it falls into the category of, well, He's he's shaping us into a life that's something like Jesus Christ. Sometimes we say it this way, He is forming Christ in us or transforming us into one like Christ. But what does that look like? That's what we're praying about these days. We feel like God has called us into a season of prayer to specifically ask Him to do the work that He already wants to do in us in that transforming, forming us into Christ-likeness. So Jesus is holy. He is completely set apart for the use of the Father. And so we've been praying, God, make us holy. Jesus is authentic. He's the real deal. You want to know what God had in mind for a human life? You look at the life of Jesus and you go, okay, that's it. That's the picture of the preferable future. To be real like Jesus. Oh God, make us authentic. Make us real. But you know what? To take steps in cooperation with God, to to remain in that potter's hand and not just kind of like jump off of the potter's wheel, takes courage. It takes boldness. Jesus was bold. Jesus was undeterred and totally audacious about seizing the opportunities that His Father put before Him and opposing the enemies that would attempt to thwart it all. Jesus boldly was on a life mission. So our prayer today, where we are today, is God, would you make us bold? Would you do a work of courage in us, in me? Would you pray that prayer? Kind of need to figure out where are we. Do you need boldness? Are you inherently brave and courageous? Are there some fears that are pretty powerful in your life? Do you contend daily with anxiety of some sort? No doubt, when I ask those questions, there are some that say, not me. I don't struggle with any of that kind of weak stuff. So I want to make sure that we don't confuse inexperience, naivete, with boldness. Because after all, children are not too 
scared or anxious about hot burners on the stove or running into busy traffic. But that's basically because they don't know what that can mean if they go there. How do you feel about marriage? Are you anxious about your marriage? Are you fearful about where it's going to go? If you're single, are you fearful or anxious about whether you will ever marry? Let me tell you, when I was single, I was not afraid as to whether I would ever marry. I was afraid to marry. Do I have a brother in the house? I'm all alone. Okay, I got one. <laughs> and bro- brother, that's like, what, two weeks for you? So you better get there. All right. And he will. He'll get there. But a lot of you already know my story that I grew up in a bitterly divorced family situation. And I saw the havoc that it wrecked on both my parents. And I saw the incredible anxiety my mother went through as a single parent. And what is she going to do with two small children? And how is she going to be able to provide on a daily basis? And uh, those times where there just wasn't the means to, to provide the needs. And so I grew up with a mentality that was like, I don't know that I'll ever marry. I mean, I was literally afraid to get married because I was afraid of the pain and the problems that could come uh, with all the heartache that I saw in my family of origin. How do you feel about parenting? See, I was the same way about parenting. I love children. I always have loved children. I thoroughly enjoy being with children. Uh, some of the greatest joy that I've had through the years in, in doing ministry has been serving children. And on, on the envisioning part about being a parent, I love the idea of having a child in my life and being able to invest myself into a child and to protect and to guide and provide for that child. But I was scared to have children at the thought of what would I do? Would I be able to survive if I ever had a child to die? You go, gosh, that's kind of morbid. But you see, I had grown up where my 10-year-old brother had suddenly just woken up one day and died when I was 12. And so I knew the reality that children sometimes die. And it just destroys you. I didn't think my mother was going to recover from all the grief and heart devastation she went through in the loss of my brother. I was afraid to have children. Anybody afraid of public speaking? They say it's one of the most common anxieties out there. Listen, because of my abandonment issues and fear of rejection and all this kind of stuff, I was one of the most shy, uh, reserved people you can imagine as a child. I I would never speak in a group of people, of peers or, or adults or anything. And it manifested itself by the time I got in junior high to the point that I would not give an oral book report. I would take a zero. I would take an F before I would stand up and give an oral book report. So obviously, I've been married for 30 years. I have two sons and I speak every week. (laughs) Something happened that all I can say is, is God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's empowerment, God's 
transforming work on a life. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the problem with anxieties and fears. Because it's a problem. I mean, uh, at best, some might say, yeah, it's a problem. I wish I didn't worry so much. I wish I didn't fret and wring my hands and all that kind of thing. But friends, it's a bigger problem than that. It's a serious, biblical problem. And I want us to think for just a moment about what the Scriptures say in Matthew chapter 6. So let me encourage you to open your Bible to the first book of the New Testament and look with me in chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. This is Jesus speaking, and He said, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Wow, that's emphatic. That falls into the category of command. Do not worry what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than birds and flowers? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? You know, a deadline you got to meet? Worrying ain't going to add an hour to it. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Do not worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the people that don't have God in their life, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's kind of where that live one day at a time comes from. So this thing about anxiety being problematic, Jesus said that's, that's a real deal. That's a very serious problem. And so he says, here's how I want you to address that. I want you to seek first God above everything else. I want you to stop having little faith. And I want you to stop being anxious. Wow, really? How do we get there? How does he address that in our lives? Well, in verse 33, he says, you must seek first God. And part of our problem, friends, is misplaced priorities. 
we start thinking, first of all, about my needs. We start thinking, first of all, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to put clothes on my back and that of my family? How am I going to be able to provide? How am I going to have the right kind of housing, etc.? And he said, no, 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 misplaced order. Think first about me, then think about stuff, then think about needs, then think about problems. Now, friends, if I have to get my children ready to go back to school next week, and I have to get back to to school clothes and supplies, and I don't have the money, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what. What Jesus calls pagans, and some versions refer to it as Gentiles, that is to say people that don't have God in their life, what they do is they go out and they get it with credit. And they basically trust more in visa and fate, and this will all work out somehow, somewhere, some way, than they do have trust in God. Okay, you follow me? I'm not trying to put anybody down at this point. I'm just saying, friends, we've got to see this for what it is. If I'm at a place where I've got to have car repairs or house repairs, or I just think I must have some kind of vacation, I'm so tired and my family just needs this experience, but I don't have the resources for that, and I address that with credit, I'm not only making a financial error, but it's a costly faith mistake, trust mistake. He says, think first of me. Turn to me first. Seek me. And then these other things are going to be coming along. I'm going to handle that stuff, that kind of stuff for you. And so he says, what you're doing is unbelief. And that is not just problematic, that's sin. We're told in Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See, my struggle with worry and anxiety and fretting and hand-wringing is not just problematic, friends. He says it is evil. You go, why would it be evil? Because that kind of positioning of your life basically says God's not good. God's not trustworthy. God's not good enough on His track record to come through for me. I don't believe Him. And it's an insult to Him. Insulting God fits the category of evil. You go, okay, well, um, I thought I was just a little anxious, and now you're telling me I'm wicked. Glad I came to church. (laughs) I'm glad you did too. Because, friends, this, this is where reality is. You see, if you went to the doctor this past week, and you got diagnosed with cancer, you'd be going, man, that's bad news. I wish I'd never gone to the doctor. Except for the fact it's in an early stage, and the doctor says it's almost 100% certainty that this can be 
treat it and that you can put it behind you. I mean, at that point, don't you want to know that you don't have just a little internal digestive problem or whatever, but that you've got a serious deal that needs some serious attention? And so in that way, to find out unbelief, anxiety, worry is not just a little problematic, but it's serious sin. That's a good thing to know because he is the great physician who wants to touch your life even in this moment and begin to heal and to deliver and to set you free from unbelief, from the cancerous, life-destroying unbelief. And the third thing is, we're told in verse 25, to not believe God is just out-and-out disobedience. Because He commanded us, stop not believing. Stop worrying. Now, you know what? If you and I had a common friend, and a little bit later out in the lobby, our common friend began to tell us about some very troubling stuff that happened this past week, very problematic stuff that happened this past week. And in the midst of this person kind of sharing his heart with some brokenness, I said, stop worrying about that. You might do a double take, look at me and go, man, you're a pretty uncaring dude here. What's that? Do you have no compassion? Well, if I were to say that, I would be a pretty uncaring dude with no compassion because I can't do anything about my friend's circumstance. But Jesus can. And when Jesus tells us to stop worrying, and He can back all that up with His power and His grace and His loving heart bent toward us, then friend, that is a word of kindness and compassion for Him to say, stop worrying, turn the page and start trusting. Because I am going to come through. Now, let me pause for a little unpaid political announcement. This past week, uh, Barack Obama gave one of the best political speeches I've ever heard. And if you heard it, I'm, I'm guessing you were pretty impressed unless you were so distracted or you were already so predisposed you couldn't appreciate it. It was a tremendous speech. This week, we'll hear Senator John McCain give a speech, and I'm sure it won't reach the level of eloquence of Obama, but I would guess it's probably going to be the best speech of his life for what that's worth. But let me just hasten to say, friends, neither one of them can deliver on all the promises they're making. There's no human being on this planet that can deliver on all the promises that they both have already made. You follow me? God can deliver on His promises. God does deliver on His promises. That's why the Scriptures exhort us through the lives of others. He's trustworthy. The psalmist said in Psalm 56.3, When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Notice the psalmist didn't say, I'm never afraid because I trust in you. He said, when I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. 
See, what Jesus is trying to get across to us is not that uh, you trust in me, you'll never have another fear. He's just saying, don't succumb to it. Battle unbelief. And when fear, when worry, when anxiety comes your way, battle it. Seek to become full of faith and stand against anxiety. The Apostle Peter told us in his first letter, verse five, chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on God because He cares for you. He didn't say you'll never have anxiety. He just said when you have it, Put it on God. Because He is faithful to keep His promises. He can, He does, He forever will deliver on every promise He has ever made. And friends, He has made a lot of promises. And I want to remind us of those promises for just a moment. I want to remind us of the things that He's going to come through for us about. And so will you help me in reminding ourselves together of all that our Lord has told us? Every promise you see appear on the screen in red. Would you just speak it? After I remind us, God promises us abundant life. God promises us a heavenly home. God promises us 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 Amen. God promises us. Amen. God promises us. 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 Thank you, Lord. God promises us. You can know Him. God promises us. God promises us. God promises us. God promises us. Anybody need rest? God promises us. Amen. It's not all here forever. God promises us. 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 Is that good news? Is that a good God? And so, friends, what we've been doing over these last few minutes is just seeking to remind ourselves what we believe at the core. That God is good. That God is faithful. That God is trustworthy. That God is for us and not against us. That God is inclined to bless us, not hurt us. And therefore, pray that we would live in that reality, that we would live in that courage and in that boldness to face what we face day by day. What we've been doing 
is we have been re-sowing the seed of His Word in us because His Word is powerful. Salvation comes by the hearing of His Word. Deliverance, forgiveness, vision, understanding, peace, joy. All these things come by gaining, gleaning something from His Word. And sometimes His Word comes to us right out of the Scriptures. Sometimes His Word comes to us through prayer and thoughts that we have in our mind or feelings that we have in our heart. Sometimes His Word comes to us through a song of worship. Sometimes His Word comes to us through the testimony of another. I could go on and on. But the point is, when His Word comes to us, we receive His Word. We trust that Word. We are empowered by that Word to believe, to have courage, to be bold. The Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, since the new way, what's the new way? The new way is the new covenant the new life we can have with God through Jesus and not just the Old Testament law. Since the new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Now, if you read Jeremiah and if you read the book of Hebrews, you find out that the old way was God took His Word and He engraved it upon stone tablets. And that external uh, presenting of His Word was a very important gift to us. It was a very special and, and gracious gift that He would give to us. Did heaven just open up? Okay. If you didn't hear that, there was heavenly music that just... Okay. But that was external. Jeremiah and the writer of Hebrews both tell us, but now the new way is that God takes His Word and He doesn't engrave it on stone tablets. He writes it on our heart. He internalizes His Word for us. And internally, His Word then begins to explode in us in life-giving, power-giving kinds of ways. Now, friends, you were just hearing stories about that. And I, I thank with all my heart Jill and Ryan and Jill for risking sharing some of their story with you. But you saw how their story connected to a biblical story? So that's why God gives us biblical stories. Because they are our stories. I see what happened in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I go, oh man, I've been in fiery furnaces. I see what happens with you know, a Daniel who feels like he's about to be consumed by some kind of authority around him. You ever been in a situation like that? I see what happens with a Jonah who feels like, I know God wants me to go that way, but I really think I'm going to go that way. You ever feel like running away from God? That's my story. And that it is in fact better to go in the direction of God. I may even be kind of ticked off while I'm there. And that's not unprecedented. So, what about a Moses? Stuttering, stammering, no name, shepherd on the backside of nowhere, 
And God says, go set my people free from the most powerful nation and the most powerful king in the world. Friends, how in the world does anybody do that except they get a word from God? Gideon, a peasant farmer from the lowliest family in the lowliest tribe of all the tribes of Israel. And God says, oh, mighty man of warrior. He goes, who? I'm not mighty. I'm not a warrior. He goes, yes, you are. You're about to lead the army of Israel against the Midianites. And the Midianites had been powerful and oppressive and irritating. And uh, Israel was in a defeatist season of their uh, existence. And Gideon's like, I am not a soldier. He goes, you are now. Go, call some men, and I'll take you into battle. So he puts the call out, and surprisingly, thousands upon thousands of men respond. And say, okay, I'll go fight with you, Gideon. I don't know about you. I wouldn't have gone and fought with him. But anyway, thousands chose to. And God said, you know what, Gideon? That's too many guys. I want you to eliminate all but 300 of them. And then I want you to go fight the multiple thousands of those Midianites. And he did. Because God told him to. God gave him a word. Esther takes a stand against the king, basically of the world at that time, and risks her life because God told her to. Peter is in a boat in a storm where all of his comrades think they're about to sink and die. And he gets out and he walks on water because Jesus said, Come. You ever get out of the boat and walk on water? Don't try it unless he says, come. <laughs> but if he says, come, come. So, how was it that I got married? Well, I felt like God said, I want you to marry this woman. And believe me, when I went and said to Sherry, I love you, and I believe God wants me to marry you, she was not that impressed. <laughs> now, she didn't tell me that immediately. It was some time later she was like, could you not have said that I'm just so uh, important to your life, you can't live without me, and you love me forever? And, you know, What's this God told you to thing? <laughs> but friend, I was so fearful. That that was my stuff. And if I hadn't had a word, I'd have never asked her. I just wouldn't have. I was the same way about parenting. After we've been married for about four years, I sensed in my devotional life, God saying, now's the time. I want you to have a child. I don't know that I could, I really don't know if I would have gone there. And within a couple of weeks, we were pregnant. I could go on and on and on. Most of you know I moved here. 18 years ago, to be a part of, of launching this church. Listen, I'm not courageous. I've just told you all this bunch of fears and anxieties and cowardly stuff that's a part of my life. But what God's seeking to do in me is just to make me trusting and obedient and confident 
in His power. I can be bold. You can too. Because of who He is and what He does. Now, you know what? I am no longer held back, restrained by guilt and shame. Because His forgiveness and His deliverance is so real and so pervasive in me. Now, that doesn't happen by a magic wave of the forgiveness wand. When I, years ago, began to pray for God's forgiveness in my life, God said, I will forgive you. I do forgive you. Now, go and make amends. And I spent the better part of a year, several years ago, going and cleaning up every mess that I had made in all the years up to my life at that point. You go, how in the world did you do that? How do you even know where to begin? God told me. Again, wasn't this audible, heavens opening up, you know, the music thing, whatever that was, kind of communicating something to me. But in my devotional life, God began to speak. And this is why I'm such an advocate of journaling. And I just began to write down, oh, yeah, I did this to that person. Oh, yeah, I said this to that person. Oh, yeah. And I went over the better part of a year and sought forgiveness and made amends and, and tried to make for reconciliation and did restitution where restitution was necessary. And, friend, once you go through that, you're free. There, there is no guilt. There is no shame. There's no you know, haunting voice back here saying, God won't use you because of that sin in your life. Now, from that point to this, I have to keep the slate clean like on a daily basis. But at that point in my life, I'd kind of let it pile up for years. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've heard of that kind of thing? Okay. I can be bold, and you can too. Because God calls us and God empowers us. I'd never be here if He hadn't called me. I was happy where I was. My entire life was back in the South. All my family is still there. But He called. And Paul helped articulate that for us when he said, We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Is He calling you to make amends with somebody? Is He calling you to reconcile with somebody? Is He calling you to forgive, to offer forgiveness to someone? Is He calling you to begin to generously give? Is He calling you to serve in some kind of way? Is He calling you to verbally share something of your faith with someone else? If He calls you, you can get out of the boat and go there. And with that first step, He will begin to empower it. He's not going to empower it before you take the first step. He's not going to empower it while you're sitting in the boat. You've got to get out of the boat. I can be bold. You can be bold. Because He guides and He provides. He'll show you where to go. He'll show you how to get there. And he probably won't do it with a five-year plan. I like five-year plans. I used to like 10-year plans, but life just changes too much now. So I like 18-month plans. But he didn't always do it that way. Sometimes he gives me 24-hour plans. Do this today. I'll show you what to do tomorrow. You follow me? Boldness is not being brash. 
It's not being obnoxious. You might know an obnoxious person that, you know, it comes off as boldness, but it's just obnoxious. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about foolishness. We're talking about walking with God, doing life with God, being responsive to the promptings and the nudgings and the urgings, the callings of God on your life. Taking courageous steps that He invites and directs. That's what we're talking about. And friends, that is humility. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. And what He's calling and inviting to happen. So, what are you anxious about today? Let it come to the surface right now. What are you anxious about? Will you battle that unbelief? What priorities are mixed up? Will you seek first God and His kingdom? What promise do you need? Will you trust? What word do you need to hear? Will you listen? Because He's speaking all the time. He's communicating all the time. But we must listen. So here we are at the point of prayer. Will you pray with me? With all your heart? With all the faith that's in your soul? God, make us, make me bold. Let's bow together. Would you close your eyes? And If this isn't where you are, then that's fine. Just give us a moment to pray about it and we'll be through. But if this is where you are, then friend, on the edge of your seat, with your heart bent toward heaven, oh God, oh God, oh God, you've called before, you've led before, you've given steps to take before, and I've chickened out, I've just been scared, I've been afraid, I've been selfish, I've been distracted. Oh, God, would you forgive? Would you do a work of freedom and deliverance in us? And, oh, God, would you make us bold where we can courageously trust you, where we can courageously take steps to follow you, where we can courageously take a stand when you... Uh, tell us to take a stand. Would you make us bold? Like Jesus. And in His name we pray. Amen.